Hello, this is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist, episode 44. Welcome back. The purpose of this podcast is to demonstrate that we have a free and creative mind that can lead us to purposeful action to help improve ourselves, our communities, our world, and to contribute to the evolution of humanity and the universe. Please follow the podcast's Facebook page, at Cunning of Geist, and follow me as well on Twitter, also at Cunning of Geist. First of all, happy holidays to everyone. I hope that you all are uh, spending time with family and friends at this special time of the year and have had a, a, a great celebration and, and I hope it went well for everybody. In this episode, I'll be discussing essentially three things. First, the origin and symbols of the Christmas traditions. Uh, secondly, the profound effect that Paul had on establishing the Christian religion and what his message was really about. And lastly, how Hegel's unique take on Christianity corresponds to Paul's vision. Now, on to the Christmas holiday. What I'd like to discuss here is just not so much the religious aspect of Christmas, but more the symbolic celebration of it. And I think the the main thing that we can say about Christmas is that it occurs a few days past the winter solstice. And I think this is on purpose. The, the winter solstice, as you probably know, is the shortest day of the year in the northern hemisphere, which means that starting on that date, the days begin to become longer in terms of the uh, sunlight hours. The light returns, the light grows, and life begins stirring again in nature. And of course, this obviously has correspondence to the birth of Jesus and the bringing of light into the world. And I'm sure this is the reason why this date was selected to celebrate the birth of Jesus for Christians. Now, I once heard a story on the reason the 25th of December was selected, as opposed to the actual solstice, which occurs on the 21st or the 22nd, depending on the year. So the story rang true to me, so I'll repeat it here. Way back in the old days when astronomy was not quite as precise as it is today, they began celebrating the return of the longer days on the 25th. In fact, it was a, there was a Roman holiday on the 25th to celebrate this. Now, the story goes that they needed a few extra days from the 21st just to be sure. On the 23rd, they noticed something was happening. Maybe the days were getting a little longer. On the 24th now, this looked real. But they said, eh, let's give it one more day to be sure. And on the 25th, three days later, they were confident that longer days were returning and the celebrations began. So the early Christians surely picked up on this and marked December 25th as the birthday of Jesus to, to coincide with this, with the solstice. Now, perhaps the biggest symbol of Christmas is the Christmas tree. And I believe that it's the Christmas tree, along with the fact that Christmas comes at the winter solstice, that has allowed the great secularization of the, of the Christmas holiday. Many, many people around the world who do not follow traditional Christianity, they don't go to church, uh, they will still get a Christmas tree and they will celebrate the holiday and welcome in the new year. So let's break the Christmas tree down for a second. First, it's an evergreen tree, which is certainly symbolic of the eternal nature of the universe, that the life of the universe continues. Secondly, the tree is brought into the home and decorated with lights. And this obviously symbolizes the coming of light, the hope of the coming of light. And it's decorated with ornaments as well. 
and the most traditional ornament are, are colorful balls, which represent fruit, I believe, the coming back of fruit to the trees. So most people don't realize that the Christmas tree is actually a form of sympathetic or imitative magic. And this is what tribal folks used to do. They would make an image of something and, and hope that it, that that would make it occur. Uh, a voodoo doll actually operates on the same principle. And by putting colorful balls the size of fruit on a dead tree, the symbolism is to try to coax nature into springing into life again. Again, remember, we put the tree up a few days before the Christmas holiday, before the solstice. And this is the purpose, the unrealized purpose behind the Christmas tree, to, to coax nature back back to life. And And this is why, as I said, the symbol goes way beyond traditional Christianity. People unconsciously connect with the seasonality of the event and, and these symbols that are associated with it. And that's why so many people put the Christmas tree in their homes, regardless of whether they are devout Christians or not. Now, of course, also at this time, there's the renewal of the love of family and friends that occurs at this time. And it's a wonderful thing. People travel to be together. They send out greetings to each other, Christmas cards, and they have parties and celebrations and give gifts to their loved ones. It's a great holiday, no matter what your religious beliefs are. Now, on to the Apostle Paul. We discussed the self-help book, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Ogmandino back in episode 41. And in this book, Mandino tells the story of 10 ancient scrolls that teach the key to success in any endeavor. This is a, a novel. It's fiction. There's, there weren't actually 10 ancient scrolls, but it's a great story. Um, and at the end of the book, Mandino says that it was the Apostle Paul that came in touch with these scrolls and enabled him to be successful in his mission. And of course, this is just a story, but there's a an interesting plot twist by Mandina regarding these scrolls and the fact that he put Paul, Paul is the, uh, is, is the person that used them so successfully. And the title, The Greatest Salesman in the World, speaks volumes about uh, what Paul was able to do. Now, no doubt that Paul was one of the most significant world historical figures in history, and not only in terms of what he believed, but also his tireless efforts to preach his message to the pagan world. Now, Paul himself wrote about half of the books of the New Testament. He was not a direct disciple of Jesus, nor was he one of the apostles who knew Jesus directly. His mission began actually about five years or so following the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, what I want to present here is that I believe that Paul's teachings were very much in line with Hegel's unique take on Christianity. I want to show that Paul taught not a new religion, but a fulfillment of an old religion and how he and Hegel both point to the same event that ushered this fulfillment in, the life and death in Jesus. Now, before we get into Paul's mission, however, let me once again summarize Hegel's unique take on Christianity. We covered Hegel's Christianity in detail in episode 5, as well as in episode 18. And it is this. Hegel sees three clear stages in terms of religious consciousness. The first is a recognition of God, but this God is separate from the world and humans. And this would correspond to the God of the Old Testament. The second step is the death of this God and his rebirth as God's son in the person of Jesus. Now God has become a person, one person, one of us. This last step occurs with the death of Jesus. 
And God then transforms from Jesus to become the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and it flows into the being of all humankind. The divine is now in us, in all of us. God and God's Spirit is external no more. And Hegel believed that this process had to occur in this manner. And I believe that, loosely speaking, is what Paul taught. Now let's get into this. First, let me say that my understanding of Paul here and his message comes from a contemporary Pauline theologian N.T. Wright. He is an Anglican bishop and scholar. I read his recent book, Paul, and found it very eye-opening. He is one of several contemporary theologians providing new perspectives on Paul. And I'm going to summarize what I learned from N.T. Wright and provide a few relevant quotes as well. First, his basic premise was that Paul did not convert to Christianity and that Paul fully believed he was fulfilling the destiny of the Jews. People talk about Paul's conversion, but this is a misnomer. Paul was brought up strictly Jewish, obeying the Hebrew laws in all respect. He was a Hellenized Jew, which means that he was a Jew that lived outside of Judea in the Hellenized Greek world, which had now turned Roman in his time. He was born in Tarsus, which is in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. He spoke Greek and was a Roman citizen. And as I said, he was a strictly observant Jew, a Pharisee. And they were strict observers of the Hebraic laws, the laws of Moses. And they felt the Jewish people had been chosen by God to bring about human salvation eventually. In fact, Paul was so zealous in his beliefs that he even took part in prosecutions of the early Christians following the death of Jesus. Most famously, he participated in the trial and stoning to death of one Stephen, who was an early follower of Jesus. You see, Paul and others saw this new small group of, of Jews as a threat to their religion, to the established religion, and a, a threat to the mission that the Jews had in bringing about ultimate salvation. So they had to root out these heretics, like pulling out a weed from a garden. Shortly following this episode with Stephen, Paul was on a mission to go to Damascus to find and prosecute other Jews that were followers of Jesus. En route, he had a very unique experience that forever changed him and his mission. He claimed he was blinded by a light and came into the presence of, of the risen Jesus. The experience so shook him that he was blind for three days. He was taken to Damascus and finally revived by a follower of Jesus there. Now, just what occurred there in this road to Damascus? Well, there are many interpretations. It's been suggested that when he was attending the trial of Stephen, the follower of Jesus, that the message Stephen was saying finally hit home to Paul and that he had some kind of a huge revelation as to just what Jesus' life and death was about. N.T. Wright suggested that Paul was likely deeply steeped in meditation practices uh, and Perhaps his consciousness of Jesus may have come about in one of these one of these sessions. Now, of course, no one knows for sure. But what is known is that this sudden inspiration that Paul received at that moment changed the world forever. Now, here's where I believe he had a similar vision to what Hegel's take on Christianity is, and it's this. As I said, it's not that Paul converted to Christianity all of a sudden. No, he did not believe he was converting to anything. He was a Jew just like Jesus was born a Jew and died a Jew. As N.T. Wright details, Paul saw, though, that there had been a change. And the change was this, that no longer would Jews have to struggle in the world to bring about salvation at the end of days and a reconciliation of God. No, the person Jesus had just done this by his life and death. 
The original separation of humans from God going back to the Garden of Eden was now over. Salvation had come. And Paul saw this fully within the confines and the teachings of Judaism. Now, to be clear, it's not that peace and earth all of a sudden arrived when he had this revelation, but the stain of separation was now over. It was now a matter for humanity to come to the recognition of this fact. The Jews had now fulfilled their sacred mission, and now the good news could be taught to the entire world. The Gentiles, as well as the Jews, everyone was now reconciled with God, one with God. And Paul devoted the rest of his life to spreading this message. The early New Testament writing details how Paul initially had to convince the other Jewish apostles that Jesus' message was not just for the Jews. They held many arguments about this, including with Peter, as well as with James, who was Jesus' brother. But in the end, Paul's vision won out, and the message was given to Jew and Gentile alike. And the Gentile followers were not required to obey Jewish laws and customs. They didn't have to convert to Judaism. They didn't have to be circumcised and obey Jewish dietary laws. This was because there was a restoration of all people in the entire world, not just the Jews. Let me quote N.T. Wright on this from his book, Paul. Quote, Saul's vision on the road to Damascus thus equipped him with an entirely new perspective, though one which kept its roots firm and deep and is within his previous covenantal theology. Israel's destiny had been summed up and achieved in Jesus the Messiah. The age to come had been inaugurated. Saul himself was summoned to be its agent. He was to declare to the pagan world the yud heh the God of Israel, was the one true, supreme God of the whole world, and that Jesus of Nazareth, he had overcome evil and was creating a new world in which justice and peace would reign supreme. This means that the age to come had already begun, had already been inaugurated, even though the present age, the time of sin, rebellion, and wickedness was still proceeding apace. End quote. Now, N.T. Wright calls Paul Saul, and his, Paul's original name was Saul, but he became Paul after his, his experience on the road to uh, D- Damascus. Let me provide another quote which explains this. This is from Brian Robinson from uh, 2002. Quote, what Paul experienced on the road to Damascus was a change of vocation. Formerly, he was God's ambassador to bring about a change in Judaism that would render it possible for God to vindicate the Jews in the eyes of the world. But now, with the realization that God had ushered in the coming age through his son, Paul now sees that the Gentiles are included in God's coming vindication. The new age has dawned. The old Judaism wineskin cannot hold the new wine. The new wine must find a new kind of covenantal vehicle to bring the glory of God and his name to all peoples." End quote. So, a new world emerged. No sin, evil, and wickedness had not disappeared. But humans were now reconciled with God, as we say, and that was the good news, the gospel. The Spirit of God now resides within humanity, in the spirit of the individual within the community. This was Hegel's message as well. Let me state it again in three steps. First, the old separate God was the God of the Old Testament. Second, Jesus' life, as told in the four Gospels, represents God now as a living person on earth. And third, 
The missionary life of Paul and the other apostles begins the third stage, that of spirit within the community. Now, there's another very interesting aspect of Paul's message, and again, I'm relying on N.T. Wright here, and it's this. Paul taught that there was not a separation of heaven and earth, and this is very similar to Hegel's take, I believe. Uh, Paul taught that we are trying to bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. This is similar to spirit fulfilling its destiny here on earth, as Hegel taught. Uh, the, the Lord's Prayer from the New Testament begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And just as it says here, Paul's message was that this kingdom was to come on earth. Just like with Hegel, the emphasis is on here on earth. It's not that we all go to heaven after we die to live happily ever after. Now, spirit is fulfilling its destiny right here through the cunning of Geist. So that's a wrap for this special Christmas episode. Hopefully you found the, uh, the, the symbolism of the Christmas tree and the winter solstice of, of interest. And, and hopefully you've, you had some new insights to St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, and what his true message might have been and how this relates to Hegel's unique take on, uh, on, on, on Christianity. So thank you so much for listening. All references cited here will be listed at the podcast Facebook page at Cunning of Geist. Please like, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to tell your like-minded friends about it. Get the message out about the Cunning of Geist. And please also feel free to comment and provide suggestions on, on the Facebook page. Happy holidays to everyone. This is Gregory Novak. This is The Cunning of Geist. See you next time.